0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. You can be seated. Good morning, Woodside. How are you today? Good. It's great to see you all. I am... Excited to be able to start a new series today, open up the book of Lamentations with you. Uh, But before we do, I just wanted to say a couple things. Number one, I wanted to say thank you. Uh, Man, I I didn't share last week, but I I feel like I say this a lot. I want to thank you for your generosity in this season. Um, This last week, if you haven't seen or read, there's a lot going on in uh, India. And there's a lot of people that are wrestling and struggling with the pandemic there. And so uh, I was even chatting with my friend D.P., who left from Woodside and became a missionary there in Delhi. And uh, he's currently, unfortunately, bearing friends each week. Um, and there's a lot going on there, and because of your generosity, Woodside was able to send over quite a bit of financial help and uh, support our missionary partners and the churches there, so much so they were able to support 1,500 pastors' families, they were able to relieve medical expenses for about 350 different families, it's significant, and uh, what I, we talked about a number of weeks ago, it is your ministry, as you're generous with this place, that is your ministry of what God is doing in India and what God is doing in people's hearts and lives. So again, just as always, thank you for your generosity and following the lord's leadership in our finances because of that we're able to do much work around the world not just here. And then second, this is probably, I wanted to share, because a lot of people won't be here next Sunday because of Memorial Day. If you're not, I'll judge you. It's totally fine. But uh, for those of you who are here, I'm kidding, totally kidding. Um, But I knew there's not as many people, so I wanted to express myself today. Uh, Next Sunday will be my last Sunday here at at Lake Orion before I go on my sabbatical. A number of weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I shared with you all that I'm going to be taking a sabbatical this summer. And so Memorial Day will be my last Sunday here And then I'll be coming back after about eight weeks, pumped up, charged, and ready to go. So if you're ready for that, hopefully. Uh, But just wanted to express, man, thank you. Continue to pray for my family as we walk through uh, this season. I'm going to be spending some significant time with other pastors. By myself, I'll be spending time with my wife alone as we walk and process together as well and pray together, and then also with my family, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it after 14 years of ministry here, and I can't say this over enough because I keep getting asked about it. I am okay. My family's great. My marriage is wonderful, and this has been planned for a couple years, so stop worrying about me and thinking that something's wrong in my life. I'm good. Uh, This is a great thing, and I'm pumped that Woodside is allowing me to do it. So, yeah, thank you for that. But pray with me and also let you know, like, if you email me during that time or you text me and I don't respond, it's not that I don't love you. I'm just taking a hard break. Um, and so uh, I will not be responding to most things, and I won't be around here at all for the, those eight weeks. So looking forward to that. But I'll miss you, and I'm looking forward to be back here. But, man, it's going to be a wonderful uh, time. So pray for my family and that. But I'll see you next Sunday um, if you're godly. So we'll see you here. Uh, I'm playing, Uh, if you're joining us online, we we are so glad you're here as well. If you want to turn to Lamentations chapter 1, that's where we're going to be. As we open up a new series uh, today, we're going to be starting uh, in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is probably not one of those books, if you said, what is the favorite book in the Bible, it's probably not Lamentations. If you say, what is your verse, like your verse, man, this is... Life verse, Lamentations 3, 5. No, it's probably not it. Most of you may have never even read Lamentations, like studied it together. It's been a crazy year. Lots of different stuff going on. And today, we thought it'd be great to walk through a book that is oftentimes over-neglected or forgotten about, and it's very pivotal, unfortunately, to to the life of us as followers of Jesus as it teaches us what it looks like to lament before God. If I would said, like, what does it look like to lament? You, Many of you might not even be able to tell me what that looks like. And so I thought it'd be good for us this morning just to stop for a moment. And what is lament? What does it look like? What does it feel like? So to lament literally means this, a prayer in pain that leads to trust. That ending is super key. It's a prayer in pain that ultimately leads to Trust. It's a language in which you could talk to God in struggle, a process oriented language that I can process with God. It's not meant to be the cul de sac of my pain where I drive to the end and I just circle in my own sadness before God. No, there's a process that should lead us back to trusting the Lord. You see this, and I'll read one example today, but when you look in the Psalms, did you know one in three Psalms? is lament before God. There's lots of lamentations in the word of God, but what you find in them is always this kind of like thread, and you can find it in there, is that in lamentations, when you lament before the God, there's a turn, a turn to God rather than running from God. Like in my sorrow, in my destruction, in my being overwhelmed or whatever I'm walking through, there's a turn to God. But then when you turn to God, there's a complaint. How many can say amen to that? You complain to God. It's not murmuring. We're not talking about that. We're talking about expressing to God our real feelings, and oftentimes it's a complaint. We'll talk about that today. And then there's a request, a real ask, as you'll see in all of these, uh, the the many uh, laments in the Bible. There's an ask to say, Lord, I need you to move on my behalf. Lord, I need you to come through. Lord, there's a very specific request. Then there's a trust at the end that you rest and sit down in the sovereignty and and, and goodness of God. That God, although I'm struggling, I'm complaining, this is the way I feel. But at the end of the day, God, I know that you're good. And I want to express myself to you. You see, lament holds this tension between two things. And I'll talk about this a number of times today. That God is good, but life is hard. God is good but life is overwhelming God is good but life is painful God is good but sometimes life just all out stinks and it gives us a language which to process that with God now when you look at them oftentimes Christians find themselves in two ditches the first one might be denial how many Christians do you know? They walk through life and then everything's great. I'm fine. I'm wonderful. Just trust in the Lord. In the lobby, you might be like, man, how you doing today? You're like, I'm good, warm, well fed. I'm standing upright. God is so good. Meanwhile, you might be really struggling with Lord. So we, we oftentimes process and walk through this like, area of denial. Like everything's peachy. It's wonderful. Meanwhile, it's not. Or... The other ditch we fall into is not denial, but it's despair. When we believe the lies of the enemies, God is not good. God doesn't love me. Maybe God hates me. He wants nothing to do with me. He's doing this to be mean to me. So we fall into denial, not acknowledging the real emotions and feelings we have in our own heart and soul, to maybe even, maybe despair. And when we look, today we're going to look at the first chapter as we walk through the next couple of weeks through Lamentations. It takes us in the beginning of Lamentations back to Jerusalem around 587 B.C. where the Babylonian armies, remember the guy in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, he invaded, destroyed, and carried out all the people into exile. This is their 9-11 or Pearl Harbor type of moment for them. And now they find themselves in captivity and captivity. There's five chapters here of this poem. Literally, it's poetry. Potentially, most people believe, written by Jeremiah, but some of that is questionable. So we'll say Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. We discover this powerful and important spiritual discipline that is often overlooked within Christendom. It's very unfamiliar, many times probably uncomfortable. If I will, today with some of the things we'll talk about, maybe will be uncomfortable for you to express to God, but it's this amazing practice of Lament, and it gives us opportunity to express real and difficult pain I and mean, things as we walk through life as maybe death or abuse, poverty, wars, crime, genocide, racism, famines, plagues, all of these different things that are destructive in the world we live in, allows us to express in our emotions our process of grief before God and be real with the Lord. So, this morning we're going to start this new series called Good Morning that the process of Lent should bring us to a place that, amen, hope is not lost. There is mourning on the horizon. And the, the thing I want you to see today is that lament allows us to have honest asks, that we can ask God hard questions. It gives us a process It allows us to be honestly, go before God, that's our big idea today, and ask hard questions. God, and this is one of the wonderful things I love about Lamentations. Man, if you're watching online, if you're here today, I just want to publicly tell you, God can handle your questions. He spoke the world into existence. He can wrestle with your questions. And in fact, like I said, one in three Psalms is a lament before the Lord. I mean, some of them we just over like spirit or like just like, man, they're just beautiful uh, Psalms, right? Like the one we used to sing as a kid as the deer panted for the water. So good, right? And we put it on t-shirts and mugs and it looks fantastic. At the end of the day, David's like, where are you, God? I thought you loved me. I, I can't sense you. I don't feel you. I thirst for you, but you're not around. It's real. It's heartfelt. It's his emotion. That he questions the Lord, and he brings his questions before the Lord, but ultimately he lands on, God is good. He'll take care of me. What's beautiful is that we see in this series that God can handle your questions. He can handle you wrestling with Him. We see, people we'll do it throughout the Scripture. So let's read in verse 1, As I'm going to run out of time like I did in the first service. Let's read together in verse 1 of 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. This is a very encouraging book, by the way. How like a widow... Has she become, she who is great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. So the first question is, we're going to see three hard questions we can go before God with is, how could this happen? Or how could this happen? The poet Probably Jeremiah dives into this question right away from the very first word in the Hebrew. When you look at it, it's really an exclamation of lament. There's, there's no real English word that really does it uh, really justice. Literally, the old maybe word of alas or exclamation. When you try to explain it, it has this idea of questioning, like how or why. So from the very beginning, the poet is saying, How? Like, how could this happen? Look what the city used to be like, and now look what it's like. And he goes as he's aghast at the, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. I mean, he says it used to be a full and busy city. Now it's empty and desolate. He speaks of the city as a woman, as he'll do throughout of the text. This woman has become a widow. She used to be a princess. Now she's a slave. He described as weeping bitterly at night, having no one to comfort her. Even her friends abandoned her. She's all alone. Maybe you feel like that today. Furthermore, the people of Judah have been carried off into exile. Literally, what this is describing is a reverse of the Exodus. If you remember what the Exodus is, people of God were in slavery. Moses comes, and God rescues them out of Egypt, and they come into the promised land, all that. Now there's a reversal of this happening. Now they've gone back to be a nation of slavery again. They had freedom, and now they're under slavery. And what they're experiencing is the real consequences of sin. They're experiencing the real consequences that Israel was warned about many times. If they disobeyed the law, man, this is what's going to happen. If you keep doing this, this is what your fate is going to be. I just want to read one passage for you, and you're like, wow, this is exactly what God said would happen. In Deuteronomy 28 and verse 64, this is what Moses wrote, that the Lord said... In verse 64, he says, The Lord will scatter you among all the peoples, hello? From one end of the earth to the other, and there shall be, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul your life shall hang in doubt before you. Listen to this. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. In the evening you shall say, if only it was the morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall fear and the sights that your eyes shall see. This is what God warned them of. And they went full into it. And now there's this awe and shock of the destruction of the proud and glorious city of Jerusalem, now is lamenting rightly because of what has happened, literally saying, how could this happen? And this is the beauty of lament. It allows us to be shocked and disappointed and even crushed and acknowledging things are not the way they should be. Like, this is not the way it should be for them. This is this is the opposite. Man, God rescued and redeemed them and brought them into a new land. If they would just kept their eyes fixed on God and served and obeyed him, they would have been great. And they're lamenting, saying, This is not the way it should be. This is not how it's supposed to be. I'm gonna read one example. Psalm chapter 13. It gives a beautiful course of lament. All the steps that I said it shows. It says, This: how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now look what happens. Consider and answer me, O Lord, O God. Light my eyes, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You see, he turned to God, he complained before the Lord. How long, O Lord, will you forsake me forever? Then he makes a very specific request, and then he lands the plane on trusting the Lord. But I... Have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See that? It's okay to ask the Lord, how how could this happen? Lament allows us to not bottle up our emotions and bury them just because we're afraid to say what we're about to say to God. A lament actually allows us, gives us space to go, God, and ask, God, how could this happen? See, there's this prevailing thing within Christendom that your emotions are bad. But God created us with real emotions that struggle and wrestle. Like, yeah, we talk all the time, man, we don't want you to make an emotional, spiritual decision to follow Jesus. We don't want you. I don't know about you, my, my following Jesus was very emotional. And our emotions many times, like, man, those are secondary. Just bury those down and we bottle them up rather than what the Lord asks us to do is express them in real time because we bottle them because, like, man, I could never tell God what's on my heart. You know, you already told God because he knows. The only person it's hindering is you because we're burying it rather than being honest with where we really are and say, God, how could this happen? Wrestling between the two categories of like, God is good, but somewhere in the middle we lament because life is really tough. And bad things happen and overwhelming circumstances happen. And when you see lament, it allows us to ask hard questions before the Lord in a world that's really broken and God will acknowledge them when I say, man, God, how could this happen? I just want to tell you today, the Christian faith isn't one where we must be a stoic and not express emotion or grief or pain. It's not a faith that looks at the world and with optimism all the time and just says, yeah, everything's wonderful. I'm doing great. Just went to the doctor, found out I have cancer. It's wonderful. Life is good. No, it hits us in a place where, man, the world or as a human being crying and emotion is right as a human being, as a Christian, we lament. We don't just grieve, we lament before the Lord because it carries us before the Lord when we wrestle with the horrors of war and murder and famine and death and economic instability and divorce, miscarriages, abuse, health issues. We go before the Lord and we're honest with the Lord and say, Lord, how could this happen? I don't feel like, I know you're good, but it doesn't feel like it right now. You see, lament expresses the emotion all the while at the same time we understand the truth of where God really is, but say, God, you're good, but right now it doesn't feel like you're good. And I want to tell you, because I want to be honest with you, Lord. We look, there's a second hard question they ask is, what did I do to deserve this? Look in verse 4. This week continues to say, The roads to Zion mourn. I told you, super encouraging book. For none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted. And she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her. For the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all... Her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that, uh, that were hers from the days of old when her people fell into the hand of the foe, and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. You've got to see these points here. Therefore, she became filthy, all who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. Like, what did I do, Lord, to actually deserve this? This is the second thing that they kind of ask here. The poet, again, is expressing this desolation and destruction of the city in real ways, right? Everything's desolate. Our enemies have become uh, the victims, and her glory has been lost. And then in verse 7 and 9, it takes some shocking place as the poet continues to personify or express the Jer- Jerusalem or the city as a woman, and his memory is filled with the good things. Like, man, they possessed when he says precious things, but this traumatic turn occurs and now they're afflicted and wandering. And furthermore, she's publicly humiliated as her foes gloat over her. Now, I can't get into all the detail, but there is some real not rated PG stuff in the text here. That as a woman, as she's expressed, and in a relationship with the Lord, it's always expressed in this way. That like uh, the people of Israel, they were in a marriage relationship, oftentimes in the Old Testament, expressed that way. And God would say, hey, I want, I'm going to divorce them as the people, He once had a prophet, Hosea, literally marry a prostitute just to show the people of Israel what it's like to be married to them. And here he's expressing some of that language as he's saying that they have been dishonored because of their own doing. Her fall is described as terrible. She's left alone, desolate, in shame, and she is without anyone to comfort or console her. Literally what he's explaining here is the city is stripped bare, Horror upon horror! Babylon armies have pillaged, looted, raped, and, and discre- like, desecrated all of their holy places and everything they do. Why? The, the question is implied in the text. Why? That's why I say, "What have I done to deserve this?" And then you look in verse five and verse eight, and you see clearly it's because of their own sin. He says they have multiple that the multitude of her transgressions. Then in verse eight it says, "Jerusalem, sin," and God with the hammer of the Babylonian people, has brought affliction on Jerusalem when he says, the Lord has afflicted her. Now, just a pause side note, this is one of those things that shows the ultimate sovereign hand of God. He literally used the Babylonian people to discipline his own people like a hammer. He used the the Babylonian people to take his own people into captivity at the Lord's hand because of the the sinfulness of his own people. He warned of this to happen. Now he's literally utilizing the people of Babylon to take his own people into captivity. But through lament, this work of grace comes into focus. It's not just that there is brokenness in the world. What we see here is that There is human depravity and sinfulness, and that is the reason why much of the brokenness in the world exists. Now, I want to be careful here, because we have to be super careful when we look at this test. This specifically in the book of Lamentations is they are in their situation because of their brokenness and their sin and their disobedience with the Lord. What I want to be careful of is every time something bad happens in your life, you get a bad or negative thing from the doctor, something happens in your marriage, For goodness sake, you blow a tire going down the road. Not every time is the Lord disciplining you. Sometimes God just allows rough things to happen in our life for his good or his glory and my good. But other times the Lord actually does do things in our lives, right? If you know the story of Israel, for years God was patient as he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to call them to repentance and they chased them. Some they murdered and they chased them off. Didn't want to listen to any of them. Even Jesus they murdered, the greatest prophet. Finally, the hand of God was patient enough and he disciplined his people. There may be people in this room that the Lord has been chasing for years and he's been patient and patient and patient and patient and patient. And, patient. and then, those who the Lord loves, he chases and he disciplines that they might Realize what they're doing like the people of Israel and find repentance and confession and come back to the Lord. But some of us in this room we're walking through hard things and it has nothing to do with your sin. And you're wrestling with maybe what did I do to deserve this? I remember a time like this in my own life. About 12 years ago, I was in Jamaica with student ministry. Many of the students from this place, as I was the student pastor here, and we went to Jamaica on a missions trip, and my wife was about two months before uh, she was going to have my second-born, Emma, and you're two months out, I'm totally in the clear, right? No, anything can happen. Don't leave the country. Just a side note, that's free. And I remember my wife, Sarah, calling, and she was in the hospital because she had preeclampsia and some stuff wasn't going well, and she called me, and they hospitalized her. She's like, Jimmy, you really need to come home. I know you're on a missions trip, and that's good, but you need to come home. And I was like, you're fine. I'm the eternal optimist. Yeah, you're great. it will be fine. No, you need to come home. And she kept calling me, Jimmy, you need to come home. And I wouldn't listen. Not good advice. Guys do better than me. Um, Until finally, the doctor calls, says, Jimmy, you really need to come home. I'm not worried about your baby. I'm worried about your wife. And so I was like, okay, the doctor called. I probably should go home. So I got on the plane. I took a flight home, left the team there, and I flew home only to come home. And then uh, we went home. They let my wife go home. And I was like, See? The next morning, we went into the doctor and they took her in the hospital right away, did an emergency C-section, and my my middle child, Emma, was was born two months early. I have a picture of her. She was little. Sarah's going to kill me for showing that picture on the internet because we're live on Facebook, but uh, it's okay. And Emma was on a ventilator and spent about a month in the neonatal uh, NICU, and she was about, you can't tell there, about a little over the size of my hand at three pounds. Long story short, she's fantastic. I always forget to tell the end of the story. She's wonderful. She's at a soccer game right now. Runs like crazy. Uh, modern medicine is a gift from God. But there was a moment at a 20-something-year-old kid. I was a pastor. I didn't know if she was going to live. I didn't even know what I was doing. But I remember a pivotal time in my life where I went home. I went in my garage. And I just screamed at God. And the main thing I yelled was, what did I do to deserve this, Lord? I'm a pastor. I gave you my life. I'm doing everything you called me to. What do I do to deserve this? And I yelled at God for a while. And then at the end, I said, but God, I know you're good. And whatever happens, Lord, I'm okay with. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was lamenting to God. God. God, what do I do deserve this? Why am I walking through this? And this is the beauty of lament, that God allows us to come to him with our circumstances and ask God these hard questions. God, why? And sometimes it gives us an opportunity for introspection and confession because the Lord opens up our eyes to real things that are happening in our lives that we need to be challenged and changed. Maybe sin that you've been just living in for years and God says, this is why. Other times it's just that God wants to meet you in a place where you are suffering and walking through hard things and meet you there in a real way to say you will never experience me like this in any other time in your life. And I'm okay with you wrestling with me. I am good, but I'm allowing you to walk through hard things and I'm okay with you coming to me with your complaints and wrestling with, men. I don't know if you're good. It doesn't feel like you're good. But I trust you, Lord. I wonder how many people in this room have walked through things in the last months or years and you're struggling all the while in the pit of your stomach, you question like, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why do I have to wrestle with this? And you just bury it rather than expressing it to the Lord because I'm so scared that the Lord's going to be mad at me if I express it all the while. God says, just open up. Share that with me. I'll meet you in that place to walk with you To process with you, because oftentimes I think the last question we see here is the way we feel is this, God, do you even see me? Do you see me? Look in verse 9 with me, O Lord, behold my affliction. For the enemy has triumphed, the enemy has stretched out his hand over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations utter her sanctuary. Those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They they, they trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Now, listen to this. Look, O Lord, and see. For I am despised. Finally, at the end, the woman breaks her silence and cries out, Lord. See my affliction, my enemies' triumph. And you ever felt like that? Maybe you feel like that today, watching online. Lord, do you even see me? Do you even love me? Do you see what I'm walking through, Lord? Verse 10 in, depicts this invasion of Jerusalem. The city's desecrated, the holy things in the temple are taken off, the temple itself is desecrated by people entering it that are unholy, and then the abominable things that they're actually doing there. And in Jerusalem's case, this, it's compounded this tragedy because here's the deal, that literally there's irony here that they ran off with many lovers, it says in the Bible, and their gods, and then ended up being violated in the very house that God, of God that they actually abandoned. There's famine, they have nothing to eat, they're trading their stuff. And then in this plea at the end, look, look, Lord. You see, lament gives us this opportunity to cry out to the Lord in this way and ask him in the midst of our suffering and sorrow and say, Lord, do you see me? You know, oftentimes as you read, you'll see in the next coming weeks, I won't be here, but as you process this book of lamentations, when you see look or remember, oftentimes it's not saying like, God, I believe you're all glorious, but you can't see me. He's not saying like, God, I believe you're all glorious, but you won't answer me or remember me. What it is, is calling on God to action. Saying, look, do you see? Move to action, Lord. Do you even see what I'm walking through, Lord? I know you do, but it doesn't feel like you see me, God. It feels like you're absent. It feels like you're not present. It doesn't feel like you're actually seeing what I'm walking through. But lament gives us this opportunity to ask God not to turn away. To look at our shame and our guilt if it's present because of our own sin that god here can see us in our time of need and ask for healing the beauty about all of this is this that he has not looked away but he actually sent his own son for us that he would never have to look away he only looked away at his own son The beauty about this is that the good news of all of this is Jesus left his glory, lived in poverty, afflicted among us, never sinning ever, betrayed by his friends, gloated over by his enemies, led away as a captive, pierced and desecrated on a cross, stripped, naked, mocked and reviled and assaulted. All the things you read about in this text and listen, we should gaze upon the cross and lament and ask the same questions. How could this happen? Because Jesus is the sinless Son of God. We should gaze on the cross and lament, asking, What did he do to deserve this? Because he was sinless and perfect. We should gaze on the cross and lament and ask God, God, do you see? Realizing, no, that the Father turned his faith away and the Son lamented, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And then we find hope that because Jesus died and rose again to make all things new, Jesus rose from the grave and secured the fact that the Father God himself will never turn his face away from us, but will love us for all of eternity, no matter where you are or what you're walking through. And the beauty of the gospel is that Revelation says that God came to make all things new. And right now we live in the in-between. We live between the fact that we know God is good, and one day I'm going home to be with him where he's gonna make all things new, and I also live in a broken world right now where it's really hard and it stinks. And what's beautiful is in the middle of that, I can lament before the Lord in a way that is so special and real rather than just burying with the hardness of the world and what we're walking through and actually process with the Lord. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.